0: One thing of working with social impact companies is they're interested in more than simply the financial implications of the decisions that they're making in the context of a dispute or in the context of sourcing products. They're interested in how their business decisions are going to affect wider stakeholders.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Impact Studios podcast series here at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, I'm your host, Jerry Davis, faculty director of the Impact Studio, where we harness design and business acumen to create equitable, sustainable solutions for organizations. Creating a business today requires a radically different set of activities than it did even 10 years ago. My guest today is Patrick Miller, founding attorney at Impact Advocates APC and 2006 graduate of the University of Michigan
0: when I went to University of Michigan, I was originally a a psychology student and I was Mm -hmm. going to do psychology research. But then I did uh, some work with Project Serve through the Ginsburg Center, where we went to Peru and did some volunteer work. And I realized that I wanted to do something that was a bit more active in the world. And so that's why I went into law.
1: Oh, that's amazing. I love the Ginsburg Center. I've served on their uh, faculty advisory board for several years, and they've been around since I was an undergrad. Could you say a word about sort of what Impact Advocates actually does? So you said that you're working with sort of B Corps and other sort of, I guess, responsible clients. So what, what does that work look like?
0: So what I do is traditional dispute resolution, commercial dispute resolution. So that's when a breach of contract, a partnership dispute, some type of business dispute between the parties arises. I help to resolve that dispute. So oftentimes it's obviously maximizing the position of my client. And in the context of working with social impact companies, what's interesting is that since they have multi-bottom line concerns, you're not just trying to maximize the financial remuneration that might come to them, but also how might other affected stakeholders um, be affected by the strategy in place. The other thing that we've been starting to do more and more is working with companies and and helping companies to develop responsible sourcing frameworks, particularly in the context of the Weaker Forced Labor Prevention Act, the increased issuance of WROs, and the general tenor of governments to try to enforce prohibitions on forced labor and other human rights violations. So some of the best practices in responsible sourcing are acknowledging that you can't do everything all at once, but first you need to investigate and look at A risk and take a risk-based approach to your investigation and your remediation work. Another best practice is that buyers do have to have some skin in the game and have to take on some responsibility and acknowledge their role in creating an environment that allows for um, human rights human rights abuses to occur.
1: So, Patrick,
0: what
1: what is impact litigation funding?
0: So, impact litigation funding is is similar to venture capital funding, where where you inject money into an entity and you're only and you're only paid back if the venture is successful but it's it's a type of it's kind of like project finance where it's a non recourse loan impact litigation funding is where they're they're hoping to fund claims that are not only financially Remunerative, but also might create impact or some type of social impact. So, I've worked with some funds that target different areas of the world or different issues. So, for instance, shareholder derivative suits. So, sometimes shareholders can bring claims to force companies that they've purchased into to behave a certain way. So, if that action creates some type of social impact, so for instance, they're forcing a company to invest more in solar technology that could be said to create impact you know i've i've talked to some litigation funds where they focus on class act um antitrust class actions so they find that they're creating financial value for their investors but they're also creating social impact by virtue of their um targeting monopolistic practices so that's another way, you know, I've, I've come across some interesting impact litigation funds that fund things like indigenous contract claims against contractual counterparties and who are using abusive practices. And that's not necessarily a traditional impact litigation, but it still creates impact and creates financial value. So there are a lot of different ways you can go about it
1: the sort of surprising backlash against ESG that we're living through now, Um, it's, it's, it's become an odd area, but it does feel like why is the S in ESG so hard? Is this whole endeavor hopeless or are there reasons for optimism? That, that you know, going forward, maybe we're gonna see some progress in this problem of vouching for supply chains and, and particularly for human rights issues.
0: So one thing that occurred to me that part of the reason it's so insurmountable is because at the end of the day, it still resides in the human condition. I don't wanna to sound too grandiose, but at the end of the day, when there are still unscrupulous people who are willing to abuse their fellow human beings and put them in positions of human rights abuses, it's difficult to stamp out completely, of course. Um, So that's kind of the first issue. This is an issue that we're not going to be able to fully address. But in in terms of not being too pessimistic, you can take a risk-based approach and focus on what you can do, what what is achievable. And there are plenty of ways where you can focus on low hanging fruit. I mean, even in the context of the responsible sourcing debate right now, what we're focusing on is, is modern slavery, which is, it's it's difficult to determine exactly what is ethical sourcing or responsible sourcing but i think we can all agree that modern slavery is reprehensible and that's something that we need to try to avoid and even there it will be difficult to completely avoid that but there are ways that we can that we can look at our supply chains and determine areas where we can do better so that's what i would tell you is that if you're looking to try to stamp out A practice completely. Yes, that's just too difficult. And I don't think we can even conceptualize how to do that. But there are certainly ways that we can do better. And I think we should reward companies for doing better. I think one problem that you see is some companies will come out and say, we've done all of this due diligence and we found, and we found these incidents of human rights abuses and we're working to remediate them. And, and what consumers will focus on are these incidents of human rights abuses. When actually this company is doing the best they can do, they're doing the great work of identifying those and remediating those works. I've seen, I've read some, I've read some sustainability reports that include some uh, human rights due diligence reviews and they'll say, points like we've had an operational level of grievance mechanisms that's revealed zero grievance reports in the last year. And what, what that says to me is that's probably not a well-functioning grievance mechanism because if there's zero reports, that's probably a problem as well. So as a counterintuitive answer to your question is one thing we need to do as consumers is embrace the companies that are doing this difficult work and acknowledge the fact that 100% is not feasible right now but actually implementing some practices and taking a risk based approach is still much better than than this um what did i say this veiled veil of ignorance that companies were operating in in the past
1: that's that's really helpful that's a great way to think about it i was imagining analogies like i'm an ethical vegan but i bit into an apple and there was a worm in it and now i'm going to hell well no you're, you're doing your best
0: I mean, yeah you're doing your you best can, yeah and,
1: uh, so that's that's uh, that's very helpful yeah. you um, can't
0: eradicate worms
1: <laughs> that's right i mean yeah it's like there's there's gonna be bugs in your produce and, so, yeah. and you're gonna end up eating them and that's yeah. uh, that's that's just a thing
0: but that's what we said. But there's a system in place where we avoid those bugs in those produce. We avoid recalls on for E. coli outbreaks and things like that because of all the rules that are in place and all of the commercial agreements as between the parties to avoid those things. But still, it comes up.
1: Yeah. And as you've described it, there is uh, increasingly viable international mechanisms to overcome some of the limitations of sort of the 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 cliche of i'm going to locate my factory in this terrible in this place with uh, with terrible human rights records uh because it'll be you know out of sight out of mind i'll be able to drive down costs like well now there's mechanisms uh, to make that more visible, uh, to enforce standards better.
0: Um, if you, had a- you know what I'd really like to see, and this and this is a bit more up your wheelhouse. I had a couple of interns this summer, and I asked them to look for some information on how much it would cost the consumer to to have a more ethical, responsible sourcing. And and the kind of another way of looking at that question is how much do labor costs really factor into the price of the products that you buy. Mm Because my instincts are that they're quite limited and that, right? But I'm wondering how much data there is out there. And I'm wondering if if you're aware of any studies that have been done on that to really get a sense of how much it would really cost. Because I remember listening to some debate show where they were talking about responsible sourcing and they said, well, you know, we should be prepared to pay more for these products. And I said, of course, yes, that's true. But I don't think it's like that. It's not, this. it's not, you know, people think of whole foods prices and think, well, it's, it costs three times the amount to have something ethical but i don't think it would cost i don't think it would cost three thousand dollars to have well i think an iphone probably is three (laughs) thousand (laughs) dollars i don't think it would make an iphone three times as more expensive if they were able to do that and from what i understand apple does a pretty good job of working through their supply chain and trying to eradicate the worst forms of human rights abuse
1: this has been the impact studio podcast until next time thanks for listening This podcast was produced in collaboration with Glenn Pupala.